0: the unheard story podcast today we're going to interview brent and caitlin theobald who we met about six months ago it was such a great story that we thought we had to have them on
1: so brent started a ministry called integritas where they take combat veterans and instead of giving them a military mission they give them a mission for the kingdom and so you're going to hear more about that in this podcast
0: yeah, now I love that they're actually looking into doing a for women. So we hear some really amazing stories of faith of women in captivity. And we get to hear a little bit about their story and how he grew up in Papua New Guinea and how they met and such a great couple and a really encouraging time.
1: Now we get to hear Brent and Caitlin Theobald's unheard story.
0: So welcome to the Unheard Story podcast. Today we have Brent and Caitlin Theobald. We're really excited to have you guys on. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. We got to meet you six months ago, not very long ago, at a a Jesus phone briefing. We got to hear you speak, Brent, and loved your story and how you started Integritas. And so we were so excited to have you on the podcast for everyone else to hear your story. And we know from speaking with you, Brent, that you grew up in Papua New Guinea. And we'd love to hear about all that.
2: I grew up, I was born in Papua New Guinea and raised my whole life there. We'd come back every four years for a furlough back in the United States to visit churches and family, raise support. Um, so the majority of my life was overseas uh, in that type of work. Did you stay there until you were
1: 18 or what, what happened?
2: Yeah. So uh, like I said, we'd come back for furloughs every four years, but I stayed there until I was 18, went to a boarding school. Um, where we would leave our parents for like three months at a time and go to live in a dorm and um, mm. kind of a mission boarding school. And then when I was 18, graduated, uh came back to the States, which you know, transitioning back to the States as a missionary kid is interesting. It's called a third culture kid. So basically your passport says you're a US citizen and you've lived in Papua New Guinea, but you're neither one or the other. You're kind of this third mm. culture. Um and sure. so from there, I, I came back to the States, uh, worked a few jobs, and then decided to join the military, which wow. turned out to be a great transitional platform for moving from MK life into you know, U.S. Uh, <laughs> understanding. Mer- and the military is great because it's merit-based society, which means that everyone who goes into the military is basically on the same level. It doesn't matter where you grew up your socioeconomic status, um, what you know about the culture or don't know. I mean, you all start at ground level, basically. And so it was a fantastic way to not only serve this country, but assimilate into this culture.
0: Is that why you joined, or did you have a particular reason at the time? Well,
2: you know, growing up in Papua New Guinea, uh, there was some World War II. A lot of World War II was fought in different island campaigns, New Guinea being one of them. And so when I was a kid, we'd go out uh, to the coastal town and, I would find relics from World War II, whether it was, uh, you know, Japanese helmets or bayonets or machine guns or whatever, and I would collect those. And I was also very, uh, I love studying history, especially World War II history, Uh, just a Mm -hmm. phenomenal time, uh, you know, where the greatest generation stood against the evil. And so I actually developed a real love for the military and for, you know, the protection of freedom around the world. And honestly, I, I thought that every young person joined the military when I came back in state. So yeah. Yeah. it was both uh, who I was, I guess, and then also this idea of, yeah, of course you serve. Of course you
1: join the military and serve. So what what branch did you join? I joined the Marine Corps. And then you're in for how long? So I was in for about five years, almost five years. Okay. Yep. And then describe coming back to the U.S. After, after serving and your experience there. Yeah. So coming back to the U.S., um, you know,
2: transitioning out of the military, I think, is, is difficult for a lot of veterans, especially combat veterans. You know, the military is marked by this idea of, uh, you know, you have a mission. You put your head down and you go out and you accomplish that mission and you have a band of brothers or camaraderie, a buddy to your left or right that would take a bullet for you and you would take one for them. And so when yeah. you leave the military, you leave behind both this mission that has uh, high stakes mission, life and death missions that have incredible significance. And you leave that behind. And when you come into the civilian world, you know, you're kind of a little bit directionless. It's, it's almost like transitioning from, like I did it from MK to the U S culture. You have this third culture. You're no longer in the military sure. anymore and you're not a full civilian. Um, and not yeah. to mention you've left behind this band of brothers and, and That is, I think for a man, a mission and purpose coupled with camaraderie are two of the most important factors um, for men. And so um, you also have, as combat veterans, you know, experiences that you went through, um, whether that was loss of buddies or whether that was just, you know, war is (laughs) hell. There's no other way to put it. And so when you come back and you have to kind of make sense of some of the things you've experienced on top of The loss of mission, loss of purpose, um, at least from the military perspective, and also loss of camaraderie, leaves you isolated and it leaves you kind of trying to figure out who am I? So started on what I would call the downward spiral um, that occurs for a lot of veterans of isolation, um, started to drink. I hadn't drank before that, um, substance abuse uh, with alcohol Mm -hmm. and um, found myself in a very dark place. And mm-hmm. almost got to the end of my rope, and you know, it was there that the Lord reached into my life, and yeah, it took my feet out of my clay and set my feet upon the rock. It's the best yeah. way to define it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Do you
0: have a moment that happened, or
2: yeah, I mean, I, for me, my moment was um, you know really getting to the point where I, I didn't really think that there was any purpose for me to live anymore, um, mm-hmm. and, and that happens, I think. You know, they say there's what 21 22 suicides a day among veterans so yeah. I think that happens with a lot of veterans but yeah for me it was just that moment of um, being in the darkest place you could imagine and thinking what you know what is the purpose and what's so amazing about that is just that God in who is rich in mercy in my moment of absolute despair reached in and said what are you doing in this place and I love that because that's essentially what he said to Elijah, right? When Elijah had been running, um, I think he said that to Adam too, Adam, where are you? And he reached in that moment and that's what started my healing process. And my healing process included, you know, actually humbling myself and getting help from the VA, um, started connecting again and into a church family.
0: So Caitlin, where are you in this timeline? How did, (laughs) when did you meet Caitlin and Brett? Was it Yeah, I'd love to know.
3: We met at Vanguard University where I was singing. I was a music major. and Actually, I was a theater major, music minor eventually. But when we first met, I was a music major. So I I was singing for a veterans event and that's how we first connected. And, um,
2: you know, from there, we started to get to know each other. And, you know, eventually, actually pretty quickly, uh, got engaged and got married after that. And she's been just, an incredible um, life partner, just a best friend. And really, it's amazing because I never thought that I was going to really honestly live past 30 just because of all the things that experience and combat just that way. And mm-hmm. so to get married to this incredible angel and to just see God's redemptive story in our lives, even, you know, just mm-hmm. through something like this. So,
3: yeah, definitely. I just feel like our story and Brent's story is just really this. If you're in a dark spot, which I know a lot of people are with what's going on with COVID-19 and um, where we're at, I just always have believed that in the deepest moments of darkness, a miracle is preparing. And and I feel like that's really where I was at in just my understanding of the Lord and his redemption and his plan in, in each one of us to transform us.
2: Awesome eventually I discovered the master's program and through the master's program, which was incredible. I discovered that as what it meant to dream again with the Lord and what it meant to, that as long as there's a beat in our hearts and, and breath in our lungs, that God has not finished for with us and he yeah. will begin a good work in us and will be faithful to complete it. And so it's been a, it's been a long journey, but you know, in just an incredible story of the grace of God, it was really cool that the Lord gave me this picture of, guys just like me, combat veterans, uh, repurposing our skill sets. And I saw this picture of about five of us that were rucked up, like we were on a military mission, but we weren't carrying weapons. And we were carrying these backpacks, which I didn't know what they were at the time. And we were going into unengaged, unreached people groups and bringing the gospel there using all of the same skill sets that we had learned in the military. And it was awesome. this moment of clarity of going, wow, Lord, you are not finished with me and you're going to take all of everything that I've learned, everything I've experienced from being an MK to the military, um, to even all the pain that I've experienced. And you're going to redirect that for your glory and for your purposes.
3: Yeah.
2: And to just see God's redemptive story in our lives, even, you know, just Mm -hmm. through something like this. So, um, yeah. And in terms of integritas, so again, going through the master's program and, praying to the kingdom assignment and seeing this picture of veterans repurposing their skill sets for a new mission and that new mission was it was serving and sacrificing for the kingdom and to take the gospel into unreached people groups um, or to the hardest darkest quarters in the world and to see these men that were in this in this vision that god gave me actually taking the gospel there with these backpacks i thought they were bibles and then I learned about the Jesus film. I'd heard about the Jesus film, but I didn't really know anything about it. I'd, I'd never seen this backpack before, never seen anything. So our first deployment with Integritas took a bunch of you know uh, veterans and a few non-veterans as well, because I really think that there's men out there. I think men were created for adventure with risk. And when you have adventure mm-hmm. with risk for the kingdom, you can't get better than that. And when you look at Jesus and his invitation to disciples, it literally was an adventure and it had a risk attached to it, and it was always done in camaraderie. When he sent out in 72, um, you see that played out. And he said, go into every home and bring the peace there. And they came back with incredible stories. And so in the kingdom realm, like I feel like God is inviting us all into this incredible adventure. And yes, it's risky, but it's really not risky at all because it's for the kingdom. And I believe that someday we're going to be in heaven telling stories about these days when we are mere mortals. Had an opportunity to engage in the greatest mission of all. That we have this moment in time to participate in the greatest mission. And so our first mission was to mm-hmm. Nigeria and North Nigeria. And North Nigeria is is one of those places uh, that is it's it's a dangerous place. You have Boko Haram, you have the Flanies, you have um, a lot of uh, persecution of Christians there. You also have um, just a lot of people there that are in this war zone all the time. And so our first deployment was there. And while we were there, we got to see what God meant when he said, step out of the boat, follow me into this adventure with risk. And we actually got to meet some incredible people there. And I'll tell you a quick story about three of them. We met these guys and they were, um, who had this radical conversion experience. Um, one of them had this experience when his father had heard the gospel in his own heart language. And the Jesus film is all about that, right? It's their heart language. And so him and his household were saved. And through their testimony, there were others of the felonies that started becoming Christians by hearing the gospel in their own heart language. Well, Boko Haram heard about this and came and abducted these people, their families, and took them out into the bush, held them there, and then brought the leader, Ja'o, and had a trial and forced all the women and children and everyone to watch all the believers to watch this and he said Joe, if you don't recant this this Jesus we will kill you and Jao says you can kill me but you're only going to send me home to see Jesus sooner and so they took him and they have like Isis has a butcher that specializes in torturing and killing they took him and they bound him up like a goat and they carved a deep cross into his back with a machete and then they sent him back and then the next day they did the same thing And the next day Zhao said the same thing. He said, look, I will never recant Jesus. <laughs> I've, I've discovered the way, the truth, and the life. And if you kill me, you're only going to send me home to see him sooner. And so the butcher came out mm-hmm. and just executed him in a most gruesome fashion in front of his whole family. Well, that night, Zhao's mm-hmm. wife, as you can imagine, is weeping inconsolably. She is just distraught over this whole experience that she's witnessed. Her son wakes up and sees his mom sitting there. But next to his mom is this man, in gleaming wife. And as Lalo, Mm -hmm. his son comes closer and hears this exchange that's happening with this man in gleaming white, the man is saying, take courage. Ja'o is home. He has received the crown that has been promised to him. And I'm going to work in and among you to bring the gospel to the Fulani's. And so this Mm -hmm. just brings so much joy and so much encouragement to to Ja'o's wife. And the next day, this group of believers does something that's really unprecedented in that culture is they actually appoint her to be their leader. And so she leads them a time of prayer and she's, they're just pressing into the spirit and just praying. And in amongst this whole group, this man in white appears to all of them again and encourages them all. It says the same thing. He says, I am with you stand strong do not do not pull back or shrink back, I am with you. And they just feel this incredible mm. encouragement, this courage that they that they haven't felt, I and mean, they've been out there, they haven't really been fed, and anyway the man in white leaves and around five minutes, maybe ten minutes later, they start hearing screams coming from the Boko Haram camp and they're screaming snakes, bees, scorpions, mm. and their mm. hearts are gripped with fear because they don't know what's going on, but they look and they're peering through the dim light as this as, because the sun is set, and it's dusk, and it's getting dark, and they see these Boko Haram guys running as if they're being chased by bees, imaginary bees, snakes, and scorpions. <laughs> and anyway, they see this man running towards them, and he's got an AK-47. Right before he gets to their camp, encampment, he falls down, and he's dead, and they can see his face, and it's the face of the butcher who had executed Ja'o. And in yeah. the middle of this, a little girl, five years old, maybe six years old, says, Mommy, isn't it wonderful? Jesus is fighting on our behalf. And he's stronger than a thousand of them put together.
3: And so they
2: just feel this incredible joy. And they're now released because these Boko Haram guys have been scattered, or some of them have just dropped dead. And they go and they the military is able to find them because they get a cell phone from one of the guards, and so they call and they come to them and the kids describe what they saw. The adults only saw the Boko Haram guys running around, but the kids said that they saw these like angelic beings with swords drawn going through the Boko Haram mm-hmm. camp, taking care of business, as they would say in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And so because of this, mm-hmm. many of the Nigerian military gives their hearts to Jesus on account of their witness. Well, they want to take this small group of believers into a safer location further south. And Giles' wife said, absolutely not. For such a time as this, God has placed us here. And who will tell the Fulani about Jesus if we go to a safe location? So they go back out, and they're now kind of hiding underground. And because of their witness and because of their testimony, there are many more Fulani's that are coming to know Jesus. So there's this man, and we're going to call him Paul to protect his identity, who is appointed to go and basically wipe out this growth of Christians that's happening in this region. And he's a big man. He owns many cattle, which is their form of wealth. He has like 40 deputies underneath him, men that are armed, to go and just basically hunt down Christians and kill them. And he's very effective at this. By his own hand and his own admission, he he killed maybe a dozen Christians by his own hand, men, women, children. Wow. And anyway, he comes home one night, and he's bragging to his wives after just killing a family of, of three or four and uh, he's bragging his wife how they're going to wipe the infidels out from this part of Nigeria. And his younger wife pushes back and says, why are you persecuting these people? They haven't done anything to you. They haven't stolen your cattle. They haven't shamed you. Anything that would have warranted this in the Fulani culture and customs. And the man gets very angry and says, we are the keepers of Islam in Nigeria. We brought Islam to Nigeria. And we will eradicate these infidels or they must convert. One of the two. And he goes back to hit her, and as he's about to hit her, something stops his hand. And he turns and he looks, and there's a man in gleaming white holding back his hands. And he describes this moment as looking in the eyes of the most compassionate man that he's ever seen. Now, Falanis don't have a word for love. Like to become a man in that culture, you basically stand in front of another boy, and they beat each other. And if anyone shows any emotion. That's weakness, and that means you can't become a man. So they just don't have a word for that. And the whole culture is very violent, very survival based, but it's a very violent culture. And so Paul's having this experience, this modern day Paul, with this man in gleaming white. And the man in gleaming white says, Why are you persecuting me, and why are you persecuting my people? And so Paul gives the same answer that he gives to his wife, and he says, Because we are the keepers of the true religion and the true faith and they're infidels and they must either convert or die. And the man says, how do you know that their way is not the true way? And then he pauses and he says, Paul, their way is the true way. And if you follow their way, you will receive eternal life. And he describes this moment as being swept away. In this like this, this river of love that he's never experienced before. Just overwhelming joy, overwhelming love. He's there for some time. He doesn't even remember everything that was said. He just remembers that feeling of overwhelming love. The man in white leaves, and when he leaves, he turns back to his wives and says, how do I follow Jesus or Isa?" And they're in a state of shock for two reasons. One, because of the question. I mean, he just got back from killing Christians. And two, because when this had happened, they didn't see this whole change go down. Paul had actually Mm slumped to his mat, and they thought he was having a heart attack or something was going on, so they're dumping water on him. So he's having this vision. This encounter is like a vision encounter. (laughs) and anyway long story short they don't believe him the younger wife has actually was a believer she had become a believer through this move of god that was happening in that region and so she's really suspect about it but she tells some of her other friends says look something's happened to my husband and he wants to know how to follow jesus and can you talk to him so the believers that are hiding out say we can't talk to him because we don't believe that this is real well, this goes on for a number of weeks and there's a number of exchanges that go down and eventually he finds himself across the fire, sitting at a fire from Lage uh, and Lalo, whose dad had been murdered, uh, Ja'o, and he tells them the whole story of Jesus, everything that they know about Jesus. And this modern-day Paul gives his heart to Jesus.
1: <laughs> so this man and a- Rama that Boko Haram had
2: appointed to hunt down Christians is now a believer himself. And he comes That's back right. and he tells everyone, all of his deputies, he said, we had it wrong. Like, Isa is the way, the truth, and the line. And we had it wrong. Islam is not the way. Christianity is the way. Jesus is the way. And because of this, there's many people, because of his influence, that start giving their hearts to Jesus. Boko Haram basically mm-hmm. hears that this man, this Falani, that they had appointed to carry out, you know, eradication of Christianity – Uh, they find out that he's now a Christian himself. So they send men to come kill him. Paul gets word of that. He tells his wives, like, take the kids and go, but I'm not going anywhere. So he stays there, and they come, and they basically burn down his home. They steal his cattle. The persecutor becomes the persecuted. They think they've killed him. Literally, the home is burned down. He's beaten to death almost, and then his home is burned down. And he crawls out of there rejoicing and having an opportunity to suffer with Jesus. And so what's amazing about the story is that we're just a bunch of, you know, combat veterans that go to Nigeria. And we're just responding with the same call that God gave to the disciples to follow me, right? Just follow me. And so we go on this mission. And because of what we were building there, and what we were doing, these men, these felonies, had heard that we were there and they wanted to come meet us. It's crazy to get from the area that they're in, which is really hostile to the area that we were in. They had to basically travel for three days, basically undercover at night for fear of getting caught. And they came and (laughs) there we were (laughs) combat veterans saved by God's grace, sitting across from Fulani warriors, Islamic jihadists, for lack of a better term. And these are people that we would have in our combat days absolutely hated and been hunting and they would have hated us equally as much. But there we were under the banner of Jesus Christ as one, brother to brother. And you could not yes. you, you can't make these kind of stories up. I mean, there we were, former enemies, sitting there at the cross of Jesus Christ, and there wasn't a dry eye in there. And when they had gotten done telling us their story, and this is altered translation, of course, but Lalo, who was Jao's son, said, Please take a message back to the people in America and to the churches and to the men, especially. And tell them, don't play around with your salvation. Don't play with the salvation Mm -hmm. you have. Jesus is alive. He's with us right now in this room. He's in front of us. He's behind us. He's on the other side of us. Don't play with your salvation. And man, you could have heard a pin drop. Because again, here we were, combat veterans that had had our own (laughs) struggles or or whatever, on a mission. We were trying to figure out, Lord, what do you have for us? We know that you're calling us here. And here we were sitting across from these... Balani warriors who had their own encounter, their own baggage, and again at the foot of the cross, everything changes. So, what's really remarkable about the story is those backpacks that I had talked about that I'd seen um, when I got back, and I started telling you know people about the story and, and telling them that warning from Allah: don't play with your salvation. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob Shank is a, he's the one who started the Masters program and teaches it, and he's very involved with the Jesus film. So he's at a briefing. I think it was a briefing in San Antonio. And he gets the move of the Holy Spirit to text me and say, hey, I want to get you guys some backpacks. How many backpacks do you need? So we're like, I don't know, three backpacks. And he's like, okay, great. And he's like, how many languages? And unbeknownst to us, he's having this conversation with Mark Mayers, and they're going back and forth trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what we need. Next thing you know, we've got like this Jesus film equipment, which I didn't really know anything about. They get us the backpacks mm-hmm. and show us how to use them. We take them back over.
3: This is just a couple of days before we left. It's yeah, this is like a couple days before we, we went It was back. like, okay, yeah, let's meet with Mark and Leslie and, and find mm-hmm. out about these backpacks. Yeah. And it's funny because it's so obvious. Like, I feel like we look back. And, and we see the things that God did in our lives. And we're like, Oh, it's so obvious. Like he gave us this vision of backpacks and clearly these are the backpacks, but we, we were missing right. that until, <laughs> yeah. I, until I, we got, you know, until we got there. And was
0: this your first trip back? Was this going to be your first trip? This is a second, second continue? trip
2: back. So we'd gone and have... we had but experienced my this. Trip. It Friends. was Caitlin's Friends. first second trip. trip. Yeah. So I took Caitlin and the girls over with me as well. Cause I just felt like the Lord is, when I mean, he's just moving. I, I feel like there's times and seasons throughout scripture and throughout the the history where we see the lord move really really just in incredible ways and that's happening right now in nigeria especially in north nigeria despite all the brokenness the darkness you know the lord is moving in power And so even up to that point i still thought that the backpacks were like a brother andrew type of thing right smuggling backpacks into whatever country Mm -hmm. well here we are now at this moment in time where we get these backpacks and as soon as i saw them i knew immediately lord was like this is what you guys were carrying mm-hmm. and so we take these wow. backpacks over and we're so excited because we now have these connections with the Fulanis, and there's so many Fulanis. Um there's like i think 17 million Fulanis in nigeria and then there's even more of them outside of nigeria and they're nomadic and they're they're oh. highly highly just like radical islamics really i mean they they kill and Anybody who doesn't believe what they believe, and there's also land grabs and cattle, and there's also layers to it, but it really is a spiritual battle. So, we brought these backpacks back, and one of the first things I wanted to do is I was like, we have to see Paul and Lalo and Lage again. And so that happened. We were able to see them, and we were able to show them the Jesus film. And we brought tablets too, by the way, which are fantastic because you can't really show the jesus film on a big screen in northern nigeria
1: yeah and so when we were showing yeah. the
2: jesus film like paul was weeping i mean he had an encounter with jesus right mm-hmm. and Mary he is weeping wow. and going like do you know what i have in my hands <laughs> like to be able to not only tell the story of what jesus has done in my life but to now show them the story that Jesus in the Bible and it's in our language,
3: mm-hmm. which
2: is fall day, <laughs> is which is also uh, mm-hmm.
3: most people don't read and write in that language. Yeah, so being literal. able to uh, have yeah. it in that format is essential so that they can actually uh, yeah. catch the whole story and the breadth of the richness of the story and what it means for them. So it's an incredible, mm-hmm. essential tool. Um, for all of us, obviously, but it, it, particularly this region and this people group because they're moving around all the time and because this is one of the only ways they can actually get the fullness.
2: Yeah, and it's it's really cool too because not only was Paul like literally tears, I and mean, they don't show emotion. I mean, when they, it, with emotion it's like you try to cover your eyes, you know, and try not to show it, but you know, it was clearly, he was almost weeping and there was also was Lalo and Lage, and you remember Lalo's father, Jao, had received um, it had become a believer through hearing the word of God in his own heart language, and so here was like mm-hmm. this full circle—not only the word of God, but on film and on tablet form, so that they could sit around in their huts or they could sit around in their caves or wherever they were, and actually not only share the gospel but also show the gospel to an illiterate where they don't have—they don't have you know YouTube, they don't have any of this stuff—and so fantastic full connection mm-hmm. there. And I have to say that. When we had first met them, and you know, that story where they said, you know, do not play with the salvation you have. Well, in that moment, our team received the word from the Holy Spirit, and it was to wash their feet. Well, if you know anything about the Islamic culture, like feet are dirty, right? Even though these people are Christian, they're new believers, and feet are still dirty. And so they're like, no, 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 you can't wash your feet, or feet are dirty, you can't <laughs> do that. And we're like, no, this is what Jesus did to the disciples before he died. Mm-hmm. And we want to show that same thing to you. And so here's what's happened since then is they've been taken to Jesus film and they're like, please send us more Jesus film. We need more. We need more. There's so much fruit. But when people become believers, you know what the first thing they do is they wash their feet. <laughs> you can't know. baptize, but the, wa- the washing of feet and then the Jesus film is like there's just this explosion underground in northern Nigeria in some of the darkest places of what's, what's happening. It's, it's just really amazing to see how God is bringing the gospel. And there's a lot of um, people groups there that still don't have the gospel. So there's other languages that are needed within the Jesus Film. And Jesus Film is working hard and actively do that. And they have incredible staff on the ground there through the Great Commission Network. So since then, we've been able to partner with the Great Commission Network, which is Jesus Film staff there, or the crew staff, I should say, um, and also ECWA, which is the largest denomination in the North. They have like, I don't know, 8 million members throughout Nigeria, but they're, we're partnering with all these different organizations and ministries. And again, Integritas, our job is to simply show up like we're on mission, go to the hardest, darkest places, and be like the Aaron of the Moses, which is to lift up the arms of these, these groups like the, the Pauls, the modern-day Pauls, and these other organizations and say, What can we do to come alongside you to facilitate advancing the gospel even deeper into the hardest and darkest places? Because the light shines in the darkness, and no matter how dark it is, the light always overcomes the darkness. Always.
0: Yeah. So were you able to leave these backpacks with them or oh, yeah. how does that work? Our whole thing.
2: So talking to the great commission networks, here's where the story gets really cool. So we've done a ton of work there. We've done now five deployments over there. And what's really cool about the stories. Remember how I talked about even my own story of struggling post military, right? What's my mission purpose, you know, the band of brothers, whatever else. So what God is doing through integratops is basically we repurpose veteran skill sets and experiences for a new mission of service and sacrifice mm-hmm. with the Band of Brothers. And the main way we do that is by taking the gospel to the hearts and darkest places. And we do that using our military experience, which is the hearts and minds mission. So we'll go into a place and it may be a borehole drilling. Um, we built some schools there, an orphanage. Uh, we do vaccination for Fulani and their cattle which has opened up incredible doors. We have Fulanis that are inviting us all over Nigeria now <laughs> to come and do this work. Yeah. And that, that part's of my mission then and allows us to open the door for the gospel. Well, talking to the Great Commission uh, Network folks there, they say it's very difficult. You know, Nigeria is the most populated country in Africa. One out of four Africans are Nigerian. And the way that it goes, you know how they say, that as goes California, so goes the nation? Well, as goes Nigeria, so goes the continent of Africa. So it's very dark, right? But when you take and you look at this, um, Great Commission Network is like, look, we have so many premieres that we need to go out, but they're in dangerous areas. We also have language groups that need to be done, and we have a real hard time getting equipment here because it's usually confiscated by the government. And so what our teams are doing now and what we're really praying into is bringing every team, so usually our team's about 10 people, is bringing as many of these devices and SD cards that can go on phones, tablets, whatever it is, and bringing them in with us because we're able to get these through. (laughs) And then we are leaving all of that stuff there.
3: Because they're begging us, Sometimes. they're begging
2: us for more of this. We need more. We have such fruit from this, and there's just—I mean—it's just a huge contrary. And there's so many areas. They're like the Jesus film is the most
1: effective evangelism tool.
0: Yeah, that's that's such a cool tool. I, I love that idea.
1: So, Brent, my only question is: Can non-veterans join you guys on these trips? Yeah. So, we have, <laughs> Joe, are you I'm coming gonna, with it? Yeah, Joe, we need you.
2: We are all about inviting men who don't aren't, aren't combat veterans or aren't veterans into the mission because we believe that God is calling men into a adventure with risk that has eternal impact. And so there are definitely opportunities in Nigeria for that's where we are right now. We are, we are also looking at other countries eventually where we're going to be, um, you know, focusing and targeting. Um, but we also have stuff locally as well. Um, in Anaheim, we have a refugee population. Most people don't know this, about 17,000 Iraqi and uh, Syrian refugees in Anaheim. And they're using some of the tools that we have learned from actually partners within Jesus Film and, and going there. And actually, we were just about to kick a lot of this off and then the COVID-19 thing hit. Um, yeah, but true. we are going to be actually going there and developing relationships and then also showing the Jesus Film in Anaheim to, to refugees, so we have multiple areas of points of uh, where people can get involved depending on the risk level and experience
1: needed, and etc. Hmm. That is so awesome. So, I know you guys have a personal family um, experience with a Jesus film with your daughter. Do you mind sharing yeah, that? Yeah,
3: absolutely. Um, we We came to speak at a briefing, or Brent Brent spoke at a briefing, and I accompanied him and um, just definitely fell in love with not only what the Jesus film is, and of course, we'd already connected with that in Nigeria, and we're very much um, in line with the heart and mission. But we also just really loved the the community and the people that we met, you guys included in that. And um, when we got home, we had had decided to adopt a a language as a family. So we were telling our girls about it and how exciting that we could pray for this, this specific place and we could, um, get behind them. And then maybe, maybe someday if God allows, we can take you guys on a, on a trip over there and we'll go show them the Jesus film. Like we showed the kids in Nigeria. And so we were talking about that. And then we were like, oh, we should, we should show the Jesus film for kids to the girls. Cause actually I hadn't even watched the kid version one. And, um, and so we put it on and it was really fun. And the girls were laying in their sleeping bags and watching it. And then my, my older daughter who um, had asked Jesus to, to rule and reign in her heart at a very young age, when she was three, she's now um, six when the story's happening. And, um, she, when the film finishes, she just turns to my younger daughter, Nora, and says, so how about it, Nora? um which is so sweet I just love the simplicity of you know sometimes that that really simple question and Nora was like yes absolutely I really want to accept Jesus and so Emmy um just kind of ran around the house getting everybody together so that we could be together daddy come in here Nora's ready to accept Jesus and mommy come in here Nora's ready and She's just so excited, and so um, so we just gathered around and we okay. we got on our knees as a family, and then we um, had a really fun party afterwards to celebrate. So we really we really like to uh, um, pull out all stops when this decision happens <laughs> with our kids. We we I got oh. on like one of my old dresses, and um, we just had a really fun time celebrating and partying with the angel when this happened. So um, so then I think it even just you know really solidified the partnership even more. I think to us, I think when something really affects your, your very, nothing touches you like your own kids. You know, we know this. It's like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing that you can um, do better to win over a mama than to, to, than to love her kids. And so, um, so I think it just kind of solidified that beautiful partnership and what God was really starting between Integritas and the Jesus film.
0: I remember when we were with you a few months ago. You shared a story about a woman in particular, Leah, and just how her faith has encouraged so many. Can we hear a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, and if you're listening to this, whoever is listening to this, please pray for Leah right now. Um, her story is 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 riveting, and she's actually currently in captivity and currently coming up on her 16th birthday, um, mm-hmm. and this marks her third year in captivity. Um, so she was kidnapped amongst um, many other hundreds of girls. Like I had mentioned, thousands of girls are in captivity. Um, but unlike thousands of others, um, she is, has stayed in on the on account of the fact that she will not renounce her faith in Christ. Um, so sometimes they'll they'll secure release, but they'll make the girls verbally commit to Islam like convert. Um, and she she won't. And so she has this just tremendous um, faith story that we're finding out more and more about as we've gotten to know um, some of the pieces. But I feel like she's representative of of thousands of of girls like her, but she's especially somebody as a sister in Christ that we need to be praying so much for her secure release.
2: Let me say this about Leah too. So Leah is an inspiration to so many believers who are facing persecution from the felonies or from book or or whatever else. I mean, taken again, as Caitlin said, at the age of 14 and she refuses to recant her faith. And for that reason, they have held her. Um, and a lot of these girls when they're taken, they're, they're sexually molested and it's just, it's just horrible. And she has, Stood firm in her faith at the age of fourteen. It's now going on two years of captivity. In fact, last year they have um, the Boko Haram said they were going to uh, kill her, that she was going to be killed like three different times, that she was going to be killed, wow. and they haven't yet. And there's still um, reports, most recently in February, reports of her still being alive. She's still being held captive. Hmm. And, you know, Hebrews tells us to remember those who are in chain as if you yourself were there with them suffering. I think the heart of IntegraTOS, the heart of IntegraTOS women and even families, you know, James tells us very clearly that faith without works is dead. He says, you do well that you believe. Even, even the demons believe and they tremble. But those of you who believe in Jesus, if Jesus has changed your life, then where is the proof through the works? Now, that's not working out of salvation. That's not a call to, to we work our way towards Jesus. But because of what he's done for us, there will always be an outflow. That will happen in generosity, that we, nothing we own is ours, is all the Lord's. That will happen in our actions. Some of us can't go to Nigeria, but we, sure is, we, we are able to talk to our neighbors. We're able to go to Anaheim. We're able to go to the people around us and we can pray for those who are in chains that persecuted church around the world. We can pray for those who don't yet have the gospel. And we really believe that. And we've seen this in our own family as we have engaged in serving together and following as the Lord leads us as a family. So there's an integrity where we're doing, you know, missions that I wouldn't bring my family into, but we can serve. We can serve like before COVID-19. We would even go over um, like around Christmas time to, uh, elderly care facility where they don't have people and go over there and just serve there when An- when anaheim opens up again we're going to take our family invite other families yeah. to say come serve together because when we have our faith activated then the lord shows up always shows up and what that produces in us is a testimony and it's by our testimony we overcome the testimony of we're not capable, mm-hmm. Lord, I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to share my faith. Well, good good job because you're in the same uh, place that Moses was when God came to him and said, I want you to go and lead these people out. And Moses said, I can't even speak. How, how am I going to speak? So when the Lord calls us to go and to be His the light into the world, he equips us to do that. And when you do that as a family— I'm telling you, it changes so much about the way we perceive ourselves and the way that we interact as a family. And I think that both the the women in Nigeria, but also working and serving together here locally, I think it's arguably one of the missing pieces within, I know, in our walk, in our faith walk. And so to take our gifts, activate them through serving, watch the Lord show up and do incredible things through our little loaves of bread and our fishes, and then to have a testimony to share It strengthens our faith and it strengthens the faith of others. I don't think you can get a better product to invest in, an eternal product, right? This isn't like you're buying some widget or Mm -hmm. buying a factory or whatever else. I don't think you can find a better investment than the Jesus film. There is something that God is doing through this film that was what produced in the 70s and that he's doing today Mm today. And for, imagine, I just want you to imagine as as a listener um, that you don't have the Bible, that you're illiterate, and then someone shows you a film in your heart language of Jesus of Nazareth, and in many ways it flies in the face of all your cultural beliefs, and yet there he is with the the man with eyes of compassion. And so I would just encourage you Mm -hmm. to make an investment and do it with faith and know that you are storing up your, your
1: reward in heaven, and it's going to be a great reward. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, guys, thanks so much for being on with us today. I was super encouraged by all the stories and your passion for the gospel. So, thanks yeah. again.
0: It was great to hear your vision, too, and hear how it played out. So, thanks, guys, for being on. Awesome. With us today. Thanks
3: for having us.